In a world of what are yous, welcome to the place where the answer is always human. My name is Natalie and you're listening to Some Kind of Brown, a podcast about mixed and multiracial life, current events, and ways to build the best life by a southern girl who's trying to figure it out for herself. Hello, colorful people. We have a very special episode today. We have two guests instead of one. Would you like to introduce yourselves? It's the For Your Reference podcast with Katie and OT. And like the Spice Girls song, two become one, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) That took a cheesy turn. (laughs) Hard left. (laughs) That's so cute. We met over Twitter, which is where all good things and crazy things happen. The best in the world. Yes, definitely. For sure. This, I think, definitely qualifies as one of the best. And I found out, I think, probably from your logo, that you two were in a mixed relationship. And we've kind of talked about that. So how did you two meet? Because that's actually quite a story. Yeah. OT? Yeah, it is. Um, So I was working for a not-for-profit, just doing some website development for them. And Katie was volunteering there. So I think I just um gave her one of those looks and she just fell for me. Is that, oh, is that how it <laughs> happens? Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so just to specify, OT is Kenyan and we met in Kenya. I am of Tongan ethnicity, but I grew up in Australia. So I actually went to Kenya and that's where we met. So I know that not all of my listeners are going to know where you're ethnically from mm-hmm. and what that means. I mean, people know where Kenya is, but do you, OT, you want to talk about that really quickly? Oh, yeah. So Kenya is in Africa. It's in the eastern part of Africa and it's where Obama is from. Oh, wow. I was waiting. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> You should have taken bets, Natalie, because he brings it up all the time. Well, we're related, aren't we? So You're from the same tribe, right? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> There's like a two degree of Kevin Bacon related. related wow, Obama Bacon? Yeah. <laughs> I can't. If, it anything, if it means anything, his family supports this uh, pseudo fact. <laughs> no, they don't. But it's a fun country. It has a lot of wildlife and has the eighth wonder of the world in the wildebeest migration. Kind of starting to sound like a like a tourism. Um, yeah, this is National Geographic, please. <laughs> we're starting a tourism company called For Your Travel. <laughs> <laughs> Kenya is not all dirt. We we have great things. <laughs> But I think also at the same time, uh, you know, just so it's not just all glamorous and all about traveling in the big five, you know, Kenya has seen its time through history as well. Yes. Yeah. So uh, it's gotten worse in the last decade for sure, just because of all the terrorism that's rising everywhere in the world. So it's it's Mm -hmm. been kind of weird and everyone's Mm -hmm. kind of on a lot. But other than that, it can happen anywhere for sure, yeah. but it's just something that's, I think, how the world is in the current climate. Yeah. Speaking of uh, six degrees of separation, my brother actually, I think a year ago now, finished his deployment and he was stationed in Kenya. Wow. 
Oh, really? They were on a peacekeeping trip,、mm. but his company was the last to pull out of that area in South Sudan. So,、uh. yeah. So that kind of downturn, unfortunately, I'm very familiar with. But it's a sad situation in a beautiful country. Yes, it really is, and the fact that Kenya has over forty different cultures and tribes—it's an amalgamation of just everyone, and it's a beautiful country. And to get the stories and the vitriol that out there at the moment, you know, it just paints a really dark picture. Mm. It does,、um, which isn't necessarily、um, to what's exactly happening on the ground. And South Sudan, you know, it's it's just had a, like a really tough luck. Like it's、yeah. it's really weird. Like they've gone through so many troubles, and the fact that it's still going on, it's insane. I mean, Africa is a continent. I think people don't understand how much or how recently Africa has had to put itself back together because, as a continent, it was very rich culturally and naturally rich, and through influence outside, to be as calm <laughs> as possible in describing it, it kind of changed a lot of Africa, and it's something that's not going to be fixed. Very quickly, especially like when you see what's happening in South Africa, and people here don't always have the best idea of what Africa is really like. It's very strange. Yeah, it, it is strange. But Africa has been through like years and years of colonization. Yeah. Yep. And when they left, they just up and left without、mm. any sort of trouble. And took lots of things. Exactly, <laughs> took a lot of things up and left without structure. And then the people that were pioneering for freedom. You know, they just swoop in place and they look after themselves fast. Yeah.、Um, maybe because they felt that they owned some of that. Yeah. 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 I don't want to get too political, but now you know we talk about colonization and that is gone, and you're still feeling the ramifications of that.、Mm-hmm. But now Africa is experiencing in most recent years like China's soft power. Yeah.、Mm. You know,、um, giving out loans, and you know there was a railway in Kenya. I don't want to focus too much on that, but I'm just saying that there are struggles that are continuing to happen as well. So, Ot, you worked for a nonprofit in Kenya. Did、yeah. it involve these kind of things? No. So, I had my own company, pretty much just doing any kind of software development, and then I used to volunteer a lot for not-for-profits that would just try and get people to participate in the civil rights, like to get to know exactly. What to do in a certain situation to know that they can actually change the country for the better. So I'm very passionate about that. There's a lot of misinformation out there, and people really don't know that they can actually change. Yes. The the future, and they can actually change what the government looks like because you don't have people voting for the same people. It's not a monarchy. Like you can seek someone that's actually capable of leading the people properly. So I was really passionate about that, and any time that、I、could do free work in developing a website or just volunteering my time in any sort of form for them, then it just it was a no-brainer, and that's where I got to meet um Katie. Okay, that's my next question. Katie, did you work for that nonprofit too? Yes, and I just want to say how much I love Ot. Like listening to him talk about this again, it just like I can see the passion coming out of him, and he's being really modest about it. But you know, to try and make ends meet, he was fully functioning, running this company with his uni buddies, and he was doing this stuff on the side because he saw how important it was、wow. to have. 
online presence for these NGOs. And, you know, there were times where people will give what they can, but most of the time he was doing it for free. And that was on top of trying to get a livelihood as well. And that was one of the first things that attracted me to OT. Give me blush here. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't get to do that much. (laughs) It's so funny. When we first got on the call before we started talking, OT didn't talk very much. But now it sounds like you're ready to take over my podcast. (laughs) 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 Talking about bringing change and raising awareness and... (laughs) (laughs) For your OT. (laughs) (laughs) Some kind of OT. (laughs) Oh, nice. Oh, I like that. Yeah, That's a let's nice go with that. <laughs> if you ever choose to be some kind of OT, I won't hit you with a, what is it they sue you with? I don't know. Intellectual property? Yeah. 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 <laughs> you changed three letters. I'm fine. <laughs> But Kenya is such a vibrant country and it pretty much is the hub for Africa because, you know, OT talked about how rich it is in the different tribes that it has. But lots of countries come to Kenya, whether it's through professional career advancement or whether it's seeking refuge. So you get a really nice melting pot in Kenya. Yeah. That sounds really nice. So, Katie, you said you were Tongan. How did you end up in Kenya (laughs) being involved in this nonprofit organization? Yeah. So since high school, I've always been involved in like extracurricular sort of activities. I wasn't really... I wasn't really the quintessential sort of Pacific Islander, but then that doesn't really mean anything if you haven't really met Pacific Islanders. I was very nerdy, essentially. Like I was on the like debate team. I was on the mock trial team and there was even an anti-racism committee. that I was was that person. I was involved in like a lot of stuff in high school and I was even on like a youth council for our local council, like in our city, even when I was in high school. So I was always trying to entrench myself in grassroots sort of change. So even outside of high school, I the first job that I got was a member association, like a not-for-profit as well. So I did that. And then I decided, you know what, I've always loved volunteering. I've always loved, you know, going out and trying to help local communities. Why don't I go and try it somewhere else? Now, being 10 years older, I, I definitely wouldn't do that right now. But uh, being quite <laughs> being quite young and out of high school, I thought, why not? And I'm one of those people where I need to have a plan, which OT hates when we're on holiday. I need an itinerary for everything. (laughs) But that was the most spontaneous thing I've ever done. And it's the most rewarding thing I've ever done. A lot of the time people go through like religious sort of missions and stuff. I, I wasn't interested in that. So I literally just contacted an NGO being like, hey, I'm looking to like volunteer. Again, I would, <laughs> I would not endorse this. <laughs> but yes, I did that. And then that's how I ended up in Kenya. And I met OT. And like I said, one of the most scary now, but it was one of the most exhilarating things I've ever done. That sounds honestly like something I would do. I was just a very sheltered child in Arkansas and almost ended up going to New York for college. Yeah. at Columbia but my mom was like no they have gay people groups there <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm so serious <laughs> and so I ended up going to New Orleans which luckily my parents didn't know anything about the LGBTQIA community there and there wasn't anything in the booklet there's a private Catholic school and so she didn't see anything in that and I was like hey I'm gonna go there instead so I just moved at 18 to a state I've never been lived in to a city I've never been to. 
that that's like an interesting thing you touch on because traditionally, religiously, I guess the ethos is if you don't know about it, then you can't be influenced by it, mm-hmm. which is a real weird sort of thing, right? Even like abstinence, like yeah. if you don't have sex, you won't get pregnant. And it's like, that's not really a way to teach people <laughs> <laughs> how to consciously make decisions, right? Funnily, I did teach some sex ed during my time as a youth minister, and it was supposed to be an abstinence only program, but I was the only woman involved. There were a bunch of youth pastors who were going to the school that were men. And then there was 22, 23-year-old me. <laughs> and they're like, uh, we have like 12-year-olds in the middle school who are getting pregnant. Could you just go teach them sex ed? So I would teach them some of that stuff and leave out the harmful things. Like, I don't know if you've seen the tape where you pass a tape on like, this is what happens to you. The more you have sex, the less sticky you are and the less useful what? you are. I've never heard of what that. Is, <laughs> what? How are you just casually saying that? Like, it's a normal educational tool. What is that? It is. <laughs> that's wow. one of the nicer ones. Wow. The ni- that's damaging. Oh, yeah. Okay. So here are the other two of my favorite ones. One, you bring a flower to the class, like a rose usually, because roses symbolize love. And you have the kids take a petal off. And by the time it gets back to you as the teacher, you're like, this is what happens when you have a lot of sexual partners. You're not as pretty anymore if there are even petals left. And they're like, you have nothing left to give. And then you're like a wrapped present, right? So this is something you teach girls. You are like a wrapped present for your future husband. The more you have sex and the more parts of yourself you give away by having sex, the more crinkly and messed up the wrapping paper gets. And you wouldn't want to give somebody a gift that was horribly wrapped. And your husband wouldn't want a gift that's horribly wrapped. So you have to keep it nice and clean. That's just evil. It is. It it is. But in Kenya, we were never taught about sexual education. It was just, well, go out and figure it out. Your parents would be like, don't you dare get anyone pregnant. And that was the... <laughs> you wouldn't even know how because no one's telling exactly. you Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, I would have rather had that. But yeah, I would have to go in after one of the men had taught those kind of things. And technically, it was part of the curriculum. But I, as a teacher, could pick and choose what I wanted to do. I refused to do those and I would have the same kids come back and have to do like damage control. And yeah. I was like, so here's the thing about flowers. If someone takes all the petals off, the roots are what's important. That flower will grow back. Yeah. Yes, there's emotional damage sometimes when you get involved with someone and go through breakups, but that's just life. You can always rewrap a present. You are not a one-use only piece of tape. And if you want to use a metaphor of a flower, flowers bloom more than once. So I kind of had to go around things like that. And I also let them ask questions. So I kind of circumnavigated that abstinence only thing. Yeah, I thought that was normal for all abstinence-only religious education techniques. Oh my goodness. I I know we're the guests, but I I am quite curious about this. So you were doing damage control, doing really essential, you know, these are formative years, right? And you were helping kids navigate what literally just got torn in front of their eyes, right? So eventually you did cut ties. Yes. Was Was that the starting of 
the foundation crumbling and you being like, maybe this is not the right way to engage with kids? Like, or was it already were the foundations crumbling even before this uh so it's actually kind of opposite of how that happened I was a youth minister because I saw how messed up the situation was but you have to know and remember that I when I started as a youth minister I had just turned 22 mm-hmm. I was very very young the only thing I wanted to do is use Catholicism which I thought was the right way um, and it's actual teachings, not what people think the Catholic Church teaches, and make kids who were very self-aware, who were loving, who were open to other people, who were compassionate and empathetic, who were also introspective and strong in their foundations of who they were, that knew consent, how to avoid some of the things that people just don't prepare you for for some reason in life. And that's what I wanted to do. So seeing that people were doing things differently than me, seeing people being very harsh or uh, hateful in their teachings actually made me more passionate about doing it. What made me step back religiously was actually going to theology school. I'm one of those people who's very scientifically minded when it comes to things. If I'm going to be... The world hasn't been around for 2,000 years. No, Catholics don't believe that, <laughs> thankfully. So the thing that the thing about Catholicism that drew me to it was they actually don't take the Old Testament as factual. They're mostly allegories. So when you say God created the world in seven days, the Catholic Church says there were no days. You can believe that if that's easier for you to, to believe, but it could be seven stages. It could be something else. And it could also have just been a learning tool for parents to teach children. You know, we're very different from other denominations and very flexible in their thinking as far as I was concerned. Interesting one of the oldest religions. Yeah, that's also why I wanted to be Catholic as well. I figured that if anyone had the truth, it'd be the group that was around the longest. And what I found was while they were flexible in some things, when you ask certain important questions, you only get so far before they say, we know this by faith. Yeah. And I'm like, that is not scientific. Not being able to have answers, realizing that people were just making rules and being encouraged to teach things literally because it makes people feel better Mm. is not okay. So that's what you're taught. Like there are certain things that are like, we don't believe it's this way from a scholarly standpoint, but culturally we like to teach this as a church because it gives people hope or something to hold on to. And I think that's disgusting. Yeah, it is. But I came from it in a different point of view where I grew up believing Jonah was in a whale, believing David and Goliath. And because we all were being taught, because I also grew up Catholic, was all in the New Testament and Jesus' teachings. And then when I got to high school, I majored in Christian religious education. I started reading the Old Testament. I was like, Mm-hmm. Were you allowed like were you allowed <laughs> that were you allowed that loose boundary in Kenya or was it you need to believe no, this you, is exactly you what not, happened? You, this is exactly what happened and you're not supposed to question the Bible. Mm. Like it's a sin. Every time you question Whoa. the Bible what's, what's on the Bible, you have to go and repent about it. So is that why when I question you about where you've been, I just have to believe you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, I, I'm seeing some themes here, guys. Aha, <laughs> uh-huh. these things are starting to make sense. <laughs> so when I read the Old Testament, I was like, surely, surely not, because it made me doubt myself. Oh, like, absolutely. Am I not meant? Am I cast? Am I am I not right to be black? Why the hell did God create black people if this was our purpose, mm-hmm. you know? Like, it, it just got me really thinking. And from then, I was like, okay, I have to re- read everything. Yeah. So I went through all, <laughs> pretty much everything in the Bible. And from there on, I just stopped. I stopped going to church. And my parents would try and get me to go to church every Sunday morning. And I'd be like, nah, I'm not going. Yeah. I just put my foot down. Eventually, they're pestering me to go, and but that's very progressive. It is because you, and it's a funny thing because I I lived my whole childhood and my adulthood in Australia, but I am Tongan. But it's in some ways my parents are more cultural than yours. That that's a very progressive sort of thing, right? Twenty years ago to allow a kid to not go to church—that's very progressive. <laughs> in an african country they couldn't answer my questions and if this great book made me question who i am as a person and why i'm supposed to be in this world i made me feel less than a human being yeah and because everything you watch on the telly it's white people and you think that's the standard of beauty and then you read the bible supposed to be something that lifts you up and then makes you feel like crap yeah i'm like no i'm not buying that shit i'm not i'm not subscribing from then on i just said no this has to be some something concocted by men. <laughs> and you know what? It was. So. <laughs> it's specifically men. But uh... <laughs> OT is super progressive and super woke. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if I had that rigidity on interpreting the Bible, I never would have been a youth minister and I would have left the church a lot faster. Mm. But because there was more flexibility, I was more free to see that scripture from the scope of it was written by men. Those things that they weren't flexible on, I just, they had no reason for it other than to oppress women or Mm. control people as well. Yes, or control people. So uh, I'm not for that. Uh, It justified slavery. People use it to justify slavery and all sorts of things towards Black people. But the Mormon church goes (laughs) a step further. Yeah, it was in the pioneering times in America, like in the 1800s. That's when Mormonism was founded. And it's funny because I was listening to a podcast just the other day and they're American, but they didn't realize that there are other Mormons that aren't white Americans. You'd be surprised. Like there there are temples all over Africa. Yeah, There's definitely one in Ghana. I don't think there's one in Kenya. And it it took over the whole, sorry, took over. I'm sorry if people are Mormon. Um, (laughs) it, It pretty much found its way all over the Pacific as well. Per capita, Tonga is, as far as I know, because I haven't, you know, I haven't walked into a Mormon church for years, but at the time, per capita, Tonga has the most amount of places of worship in the Mormon church. Like on every, we don't really have streets in Tonga. We don't really have addresses. It's literally like (laughs) from this coconut tree. But (laughs) at every sort of juncture, there is a Mormon church and it's, it's super saturated in Tonga. So it's quite a strong presence in the Pacific Islands and also in Australia as well. And I think, you know, just universally religion i think it's weird that people that aren't into history solely believe what's in the ancient texts like in the bible like people don't really like history but they just believe what's in there but that was also a foundational like you nat i'll read these things and be like hang on a second 
this doesn't make sense. And at the time that I was with OT, I was still kind of Mormon, right? And I was making my way through the Book of Mormon and I was reading all of this. And it's interesting if you take a step back and you actually look at the reason and when it was actually embedded into a religion, right? So you have an American in the 1800s creating, whether it's from divine intervention or not, he created a religion. (laughs) A lot of things permeated out of that, but then a lot of the ideals at the time were reflected in the religion, which makes you wonder, is it self-serving? Which I think we kind of all agree, right? But just to bring it back to the both of us, you know, I think it was in the 1960s, up until the 1960s, anyone that was black, like African-American specifically, even if they were men, they weren't allowed to hold any sort of authority in the church. Yeah. I actually went earnestly to, they're called bishops, but they're like pastors, right? And I was like, this is interesting. Can, can you tell me more about this? And they were like, God was telling us that now was the right time to allow them. And I'm like, but why weren't they allowed from the first place? You know what I mean? Like, it didn't make sense. And I kind of got frustrated with the glossing over of, yes, you just need to believe it. And it was in God's timing. And this is why it happened. And I'm like, actually, no. That's not how it works. And, you know, one of the stories that I love between OT and I is you would think that we have an overlap in our Christian sort of experience Mm -hmm. because there is the Bible. There are extra citations in the Mormon Bible. It's King James, but it's still like they put extra citations in there. You know, one day I was like, yeah, just like Cain and Abel. Cain is black because he went evil. And then OT's like, (laughs) what? What are you talking about? So growing up in the Mormon faith, we were taught to believe that First of all, it makes no sense at all because you have Native Americans, so they're not even black. But in brown people in general. Yeah, right. Um, But anyway, so you have the indigenous people in America are white, according to Mormons. Yeah. And then they would they would sin and they would do something bad and then they would turn black. So not even Native American. They would turn like African black. And that makes no sense. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You don't, you don't realize how messed up something is until you sit back and you look at it and it's like, hang on a second. But yeah, that, that was one of those things where OT thought I was just kidding around and we actually had to look it up and I had to show him these are the actual scriptures that I was taught. I can't imagine having to unpack that. So you guys were together in this nonprofit in Kenya. Mm-hmm. When did you come back to Australia or did you come back together? So in the upcoming January, we will have been together for 10 years. Mm -hmm. So exciting. Right? Take me somewhere, OT. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so we we did a lot of long distance, like a lot of back and forth. I would have to come back to Australia, get some money. Usually I'll get sick of my job for a year and be like, bye, I'm going. (laughs) 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 So there there were a few trips back and forth to Kenya just until recently. So OT's been in Australia for oh, four years now. For four years. Katie, were you the only one making trips back and forth? Yeah. Okay, so OT came four years ago and we have this Mormon understanding of race. What was it like the first time OT met your parents? Oh, well, it just, was... just to put it out there, I've um, amicably left the Mormon church a couple of years into our relationship. So I was already out of the Mormon church. Okay. But my family are still quite strong. So it is it is still valid. Yes. It, it was weird. Like they didn't say anything bad, but the look, there was a look and I don't know. It's, it's definitely better now. Like they've gotten used to me. 
But the first Come time. On, they love you. They haven't gotten used to you. They love you. <laughs> the first time was really, really weird and awkward. And I really didn't know what to do or say. I just expected. Because first of all, there's this Tongan cultural thing where I'm pretty sure they thought Katie would end up with another Tongan person. You know? mm. So there's that. And then you add Mormonism to the mix. Oof. But I think it's it's also a cultural thing as well because I not not deliberately but I was atypical to a traditional always nodding always in agreeance brown girl in Australia I just wasn't that mm-hmm. right so you know even out of high school who decides to go off and volunteer in Kenya no one like that was unheard of <laughs> the only time you leave your home is if you're going on a mission like if you're a missionary right and do that two year isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So you just didn't do it. And even women sometimes just didn't go on missions. It was just guys. Well, yeah, the guys are required from what I understand. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, an organization to promote um, baby daddies across the globe. <laughs> well, you know, through other ones, there are baby OTs around the world. <laughs> oh my gosh. See, the only reason I know anything about the Mormon church is because there's a YouTuber. He also has a podcast now called Mr. Atheist. And he left the Mormon church, so I'm not oh, never woefully ignorant of Mormonism. That's okay. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it, like Mormonism is a really weird thing because you have two different sets of history. You have everything that's endorsed through the church, so everything is through a rose-tinted lens. And then mm-hmm. you have really bitter people that have left the church that will slander pretty much everything. So you, you know how they say between two truths is the real truth you don't even have that because everyone is just so on on every side of the spectrum you know you don't have like a middle sort of grounding so historically you're not really going to find anything but just going back to OT meeting my family universally if you're a girl in order for men to have their freedom you need to be locked behind the house you know what I mean? So that's yeah. kind of how I was brought up, you know, religiously, but it was also culturally as well. You have your daughter that has just come out of high school going to Kenya, not planning to, but falling in love with, and a couple of years later, bringing him back to <laughs> Australia. Like it, 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 it's, just, it's just not something that is typical. Like it's not a typical path that a brown girl would take, right? So there was a lot of that baggage as well I can imagine Mm. so there's a lot of apprehension and you know especially with my dad because you know he's a man yeah the head of the household type thing yeah right so there was also that layering as well it was also even up until that point we had been together for what six six years but no one in my family or none of my friends have actually met him so that was also another layer did they think that since you were long distance for so long that it was kind of like a pipe dream oh or like they were waiting for you to get over it oh totally just around family gatherings everyone would joke around my imaginary kenyan boyfriend (laughs) 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 be like where is he where is he katie where is he but you know that was fine because i had a plan we had a plan and we were going to make it work. And it was one of those things where, you know, even when we we're at the immigration office in Kenya, they were like, why don't you guys just like get married? Get married. It's going to make it easier. Yeah, I was going to say it always makes it easier. 
Yeah, right. And, you know, there's also this whole controversy about like sham marriages, which is rife in Australia. Um, I'm sorry, what? Like sham marriages. So you'll give someone, a guy will pay a woman $20,000 so you can pretend to be married to them so they can immigrate to Australia. Oh, okay. Okay. So we would call that a green card marriage. When you said share, I was like, are we sharing people? (laughs) (laughs) Sham, sham. We love 90 Day Fiance, by the way. I have never seen that, but I have heard a lot. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, that could be us, OT. <laughs> I don't know. Marriage feels like this contract thing and not about love anymore. It's about protecting your assets or your life just in case something goes wrong. Yeah, and it's it's kind of become whatever you want it to be. Yeah. And a lot of the time, it's not really about the two of you, really. It could be about your families because you get a lot of pressure. I know you said before we started recording that your family keeps asking. (laughs) Oh, totally. I'm the youngest in my family, but OT and I have been together longer than any of my older siblings have been with their wives or husbands. And it's just funny because just because they're older, they think, and because they're religious and because they're married, they think they can have an opinion about our life. (laughs) And you're like, that's a good joke, but we've been together longer than you guys have been together. So you really don't have like a standing. And I think it's quite important to protect your relationship because it's so easy to listen to other people or give in to societal and religious pressures or, you know, whatever pressures you have. At the end of the day, OT and I, and our dog like that's the most important thing <laughs> moved you were able to move past the race things and honestly I think it's really beautiful and also funny your perseverance and that just that attitude of I might be a brown woman but I'm going to go and do what I want because I love him because I want, I'm independent, I'm strong. I love that you were able to keep that because you have this relationship that is so good and you two are so work so well together. And if at any point you had not been true to yourself, you might not be here today. Thanks. So true. And I, I don't know, maybe after the first time we met and she had to go back to Australia, I think it kind of played in my mind like, Hmm, what's going to happen? Because yeah. from everyone you hear, long distance just doesn't work. Right. Yeah. Or you, you don't oh. really know what's going on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we were talking every day. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> we, we've, we've tried all of the like messaging sort of apps and I feel like we should get royalties because <laughs> we've used all of them. <laughs> Yeah, so anywhere that we could get in touch, regardless of the time, because the time difference is also a factor. Mm-hmm. Because when Katie would be waking up, it will be when I'd be going to bed. Yeah. It's really a bummer. And you just have to coordinate and sync everything yeah. perfectly to be able to talk every day. You get work. And I think, yeah, personally, and I don't know about UOT, but I think I found it a bit more easier to handle it because I've always kind of been okay with my alone time, like more than the normal person. Mm. Like, and, you know, people don't even talk about living together 24 7 for the first time because that was also an experience as yeah. well. I remember the plan was initially, in my head at least, was always Be, to live, live in, in Kenya. Kenya. <laughs> and Katie would come and live there and we'll build this happy family because Kenya is cheap and <laughs> you can do a lot more in Kenya than you can do in Australia with the money you have. <laughs> but you're so strongly Kenyan as well. Yeah, because I four represent. Yeah, because I was really, 
really eager to actually change my community. Mm-hmm. And the thought yeah. of leaving there never really crossed my mind. And it got to a point where it was like a terrorist attack in a shopping mall. Oh man, I remember that. I'm that like, was a month before my flight yeah. to go as well. Like, do not come here. Because the government just made such a big hush out of it. And yeah. seeing how they handle it just got me really frustrated. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, is mm. there no line these people would not cross? Yeah. Because people are dying and them they're there, the army stealing stuff in a shopping mall when they know that the terrorists have already left. Mm. And they didn't yeah. even bother. And I was, I was pissed. I was like, I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. So how much more shit can you take from the government, a country that's just, you, you want to make it better. You, you fought pretty much. It was what I think I, after leaving college, I volunteered and tried to work so hard towards this. And you feel like you've not made any progress and you've wasted all your time and mm. all your effort. And it just demoralized me completely. And I was like, yeah. oh, I am so done. But after you get over that, you know, people's lives still matter and you still have to just go on and fight the good fight and hope that hopefully one of these days something does change. Yeah. Personally, I see it from the point of view of this is enough, you know, like, so, you know, Obama was elected and people were like, yeah, this is enough. You've got it. We've, we've solved racism and it's fine because <laughs> we've like, there's an African-American Kenyan shout out. There was a lot of rhetoric about like, you know, we've, we've fixed racism, you know, like, cause you have like an African-American. Yeah. How can you be racist now? otherwise, you know? Uh, that made people more racist. But I, I think that's, I think that's the problem because if you don't have like overt in your face, this is a problem. It's kind of like simmering and it's embedded in daily conversations. People are just saying mm-hmm. things that don't seem as harmful, but they are just as, as detrimental to, you know, the progression. Because people are like, yeah, we've progressed enough as a people. Women have enough rights now. Minorities have yeah. a voice now. So there's really no need to push. And I think because people are like, just in general, you know, people congregating and being religious, people have moved away from that. And the people that are so religious are holding on to that, being like, oh, if we, if we let go of this, then everything's going to go to shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's weird because even between OT and I, because the, the racism in Australia is different to the racism that's in Kenya. And it's kind of not to say that the racism that I experience as a brown woman in Australia isn't as heavy or isn't as deep, but it, it is on a different sort of level because I'm not yeah. I'm not being seen the way that OT might have been seen when he first came to Australia, but I still experience racism as well. So I think we've kind of come to a point globally of, yeah, this is good enough. Like you, you, women don't have exactly the same amount of pay as men, but it's good enough now. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's really no momentum to push people to help with that. Does that I, I, it sounded really jumbled, but to me no, it makes it didn't. sense. It does make sense. <laughs> No, no, it sounded good. It's a very complicated situation and it's hard not to get emotions involved. So some of these things are hard to talk about because not many people are talking about them and that in itself can be very frustrating as well. Yeah. On a smaller level, OT the very Kenyan man. <laughs> what how does that translate to your relationship at home? Like uh, the food you eat, does it affect the food you eat or how things work? Oh, no. So we, we try and find African <laughs> food in supermarkets yeah. here. 
so that I could make a dish at least once every month or something. Something that feels overtly African, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're still yet to find a proper African cuisine like restaurant here. Um, I'm sure there are some we've been told to go farther in the West yeah. to get them. But yeah, you don't realize how much you'd miss something as, as simple as food, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was so excited. I remember coming here, I really wanted to try the Big Mac because there's no McDonald's in, <laughs> in Kenya when I left. Yeah, there's no McDonald's. And McDonald's is in different African countries. Yeah, it's not in Kenya. Just not yeah. in Kenya. So I was really, really eager because there's been so, so, so much hype about the Big Mac. You see it in movies, you see it everywhere. So when I came here, <laughs> I just wanted a Big Mac. And when I, <laughs> I was so disappointed. I was going to say, how can you be happy about tasting a Big Mac? Globalization had let him down. <laughs> Consumerism had let him down in that moment. Because you look at the advertisements, you look at people all talking about the Big Mac, and then when you see it, you're like, wait, what's this? <laughs> <laughs> food, okay, listen, food never, ever, ever, ever looks like what it looks like in the advertisement. Well, clearly not. <laughs> or maybe, maybe we need to go to America, because I feel like the American Big Mac would be a lot bigger. Like then, because it it really looked it looked like a cheeseburger in OT's hands. Like that's how small the Big Mac. Was. It might be bigger portion sizes, but it's not pretty. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that OT loves to have a little rant about is how Kenyans ate kale before everyone else made it a superfood. Oh my goodness! <laughs> because in Kenya, you can get really fresh produce really cheap like you can get like a handful of coriander um you could get that for like 15 cents right yeah and you could get kale for like two dollars uh for a few bunches or whatever less than that yeah and in australia produce is very expensive so you know one of the biggest rants that ot loves to you know how you have a rant but you love ranting about it this is what ot loves he loves ranting about kale because it's five dollars for like two stems (laughs) (laughs) that's so sad I would like a lot more of the Kenyan feast OT, but I think one of the things is like once we got to, I call it our period of stability, like it wasn't when are we going to be together? When are we finally going to be living in the same country for good? Now that we've got into that point, we're both in like full-time drone office jobs. We used to love cooking together and it used to be such a fun thing that we would do, but now it's literally, okay, is it edible? Can I eat it? (laughs) Um, or we just order takeout and that used to be something that was so fun that we really enjoyed doing together but because of the bills that need to be paid and because our job goes to a fancy daycare we need there are bills we need to pay essentially yeah so things that we used to enjoy doing we can't really do any or at least we don't make the time to yeah I was gonna say maybe you can like set a a day a week or something like that where you sit down to do that because those little rituals are so important i think Hmm. i've never been in a relationship for 10 years so i have no room to say anything but you know how you keep it spicy you start a podcast that's how you keep it spicy (laughs) (laughs) no my girlfriend would not touch this podcast with a 10-foot pole this is not something we can share but maybe something else But even, you know, even then, like even to the outside world and even to some of our family, they think OT is like really quiet and they don't realize that. Well, essentially they think I run everything, which I do. I do. Uh I 
I am the lead. But Oti is so thoughtful and he's actually funny. He's not as funny as I am. Let's keep his ego in check. <laughs> but yeah, like there was one day at like 2 a.m. I didn't want to wake him up. So I just wrote this really long email of we need to start a podcast. This is going to be the best thing ever. And then he woke up to it and he's like, what? What is happening? What are we doing? And I'm glad that we started the podcast, even even though people probably think, well, we actually we haven't told our family because if you've listened to our podcast, we don't really want <laughs> we don't really want our family hearing what we're talking about. But yeah, it's like it's nice. It's it's a nice little project that we have together that I really enjoy. Okay, um, but I I really enjoy doing the podcast because in our day to day you know, sort of life where things are getting quite monotonous, it's nice for us to be able to do things that we enjoy because we, we always watch TV and movies together. And, you know, if you listen to our podcast, that's literally how we talk while we're watching things. <laughs> <laughs> it is some narcissism because I think we're hilarious. Like I really think, I really think we're fun. You are a lot of fun. Oh, thanks, Nat. You two have so much fun together. And I think that because you've had to go through so much, if we look at your lives even separately, you went from religion and that affected how you looked at kind of yourselves and your races. And then you moved past that to like accepting and meeting each other. And then you came to love each other. And I think that's a really beautiful development. So like from religion to acceptance of yourselves and each other, and then you loving each other and doing whatever you could to come together. Like, I think we need to hear more things that are like that in today's world. Oh, that's really nice. Thanks, Natalie. I mean it. I mean, I just, the world is a crazy place and hearing people who faced uh, hardships and came out on the other side and still have so much love for each other. I don't know if anyone can look at that and not think it's a beautiful thing. But I think it depends because sometimes you have people that live their relationship for other people. And if you are that sort of person, then I guess people's opinions will bother you and will influence the way that you love and the way that you live. You know, but if, if people love hearing about our life, that's great. And if they don't, then that's fine because our foundation is quite strong. You know what grinds my gears? <laughs> Me. Like, <laughs> other than you. <laughs> Well, no, because we've been through a long distance relationship in the longest form. And I'm not trying to shame anyone into, you know, long distance comes in a lot of shapes and sizes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when we hear like YouTubers creating videos about how they had to struggle because their partner was in a different state in America, <laughs> that's just like 12, <laughs> eight hour drive away. I'm like, come on now. That is not long distance. <laughs> You know, it is to us. The U.S. feels like Europe, except bigger in some ways. Like, they're all like separate countries. It's like, you know, how you talk about like love languages and stuff. I guess it depends on what your yeah. love language is. And I guess, you know, for a lot of the people that struggle, it's probably because, you know, physical touch is very important. Yes. From my point of view, it was more like we've been apart you know, for such a long time mm -hmm. and being together in the same country and applying for a visa to come here was so hard. Don't recommend it. Yeah, <laughs> it's painful. I've heard horror stories. Like it's, it's really, you have to go through leaps and bounds to just through the application process alone. And because I'm from Kenya, which is classified as a high risk, yeah. high risk country, 
oh, it was double the effort. It was just so. And we we had to have emails. We had to explicitly provide emails where we said, "I love you," and yep. I see a f- like we had to actually have like those words. hours of chat yeah. logs. Just oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you know, I I always make a joke because people are like, "Wow, you guys have been together for ages." And usually, my default joke is, "Yeah, we've been together for so long. I just need to check his pulse and make sure he's breathing, and that's enough." <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> And also a lot of, because, you know, a lot of people are having kids around us and they're all getting married and stuff. And whenever they do ask me for advice, I always say, make sure you don't lose your sense of self. And I think a lot of the time people take that as, oh, Katie, you're just being selfish because you don't have a kid and blah, blah. I'm like, no, because if you lose who you are and you give everything to your marriage or to your child, then a few years down the line, you'll realize that you don't even know who you are anymore. You don't even know what your personality is outside of the marriage or outside of having a kid. And, you know, you want to make sure that who you are and the journey that you're on, you're not losing who you are as a person. Absolutely. It's it's, it's really important to just be yourself. And as long as you're not giving something up for the other person that you think is you're going to lose yourself, be good. Yeah. And you have to have your own, I think, interests for sure. Things that feed you mentally and intellectually. You know, despite all those things, you guys are still together and hopefully you'll find some African food places. Food is such a big deal in a lot of cultures, but you've come through all these things and sounds like you're in for the long haul, you know? Yeah, for as long as our terrible diet and fat asses (laughs) will let us live. That's as long as we will be together. One of the funniest things when OT first came to Australia is because there's there's hardly any African people oh, in Australia. Yeah. So whenever OT would see an African, like his his whole neck will contort like <laughs> 360 <laughs> degrees to try and see. But it was nice. But it is rare. It, it's not rare to see. Like, no, like I, I was here for three months and I hadn't seen any black person. Mm. And I was starting to get concerned. <laughs> Like, where are you hiding? <laughs> I can't say anything because when mixed people see each other, they're like, my kind. <laughs> so I was walking down the supermarket early in the morning and saw the first black person. And we looked at each other and just gave each other a nod. Like it was, <laughs> wow. Keep going. <laughs> I'm not alone. <laughs> I mean, uh, there have been so many times where I've like seen another mixed person and then made friends with them or found someone on Instagram and it's like, hey, you're mixed. Meg, yeah. Did you share stories back and forth? And next thing you know, you're like, we're family. <laughs> <laughs> it's, very, it's very funny. The millennial mixed people experienced just like nobody and then the internet hit and so we're all like grabbing for each other (laughs) (laughs) and now the generations after us it's almost like they don't know what to do because no one cares true yeah i don't know what it'd be like if i moved somewhere and it was all one race i think i'd lose my mind (laughs) (laughs) well it's like where I grew up I grew up in um western Sydney and everyone looked like me there like it was it wasn't some kind of brown it was literally all brown like but like we live closer to the city now so it's very rare for me to see you know other Pacific Islanders but whenever we go back for like 
family dinners or whatever I'm like oh there you are <laughs> that's where all my people are <laughs> if I ever get brave enough to go to Australia I want to I want to have that experience because I've never been around just like just brown people that sounds cool <laughs> so we're heading on an hour and a half <laughs> oh wow we are I mean I have absolutely loved talking to you and I would talk that the thing is I will as an extrovert talk to you for three more hours well, I think maybe what interests you the most about us, because we we don't know what's most interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but I came from a divorced family. I don't have a lot to look at in my life, and I've never had anything really to look at and be like, this is what a good relationship looks like. So when I was young, I just was always looking for couples who seemed like they loved each other and they were making it work. Mm -hmm. And I wish that I had seen a couple like you when I was growing up because that would have given me a lot of hope. So I hope that there are young mixed children or in any racial group and they can see your relationship and how it works because I think you do work very well together and I love that you are able to come together now. Thanks. That's really sweet of you. Uh, people underestimate how much impact I think they have on others just by being true to themselves. Mm. You've, you've packaged it so perfectly. I don't think there's any thought, anything more we can add to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can add where we can find you. Oh, cute. No, we don't want to promote ourselves. What are you talking about? <laughs> so our podcast is called For Your Reference. And as far as I understand, if you search on us in any sort of podcatcher, should be able to find us. Yep. That's OT's job. Thank you. On Instagram, <laughs> we are for your ref pod. But yeah, and also our email is hello at fyrpodcast.com. And we want to say thank you so much, Natalie, for having us on. We really appreciated it. And, you know, obviously you guys are some kind of brown listeners already, but she is so amazing. You should go and listen to more episodes. And if you haven't rated and reviewed her, five stars, obviously. <laughs> Thank you. And you forgot your YouTube channel that you just started. Oh, did I forget that? Yes, we do have a YouTube channel. <laughs> we are going to try and branch out into same sort of movie TV segments, but it's not just uploading the podcast straight onto YouTube. So some very exciting segments. Yes, and you'll get to see their beautiful faces. It'll be great. <laughs> so you should go subscribe to them on all platforms and YouTube and give them some love as well. Thanks, Natalie. Thank you. You're welcome. So I'm not going to lie, we might have stayed on that call for another two or three hours. For real, KT and OT from For Your Reference are so much fun and they are really amazing people. I absolutely highly recommend that you go check out their podcast and their YouTube channel. I can't gush about them enough. Sorry for getting this out a little late. If you follow me on Twitter, you know why. Speaking of Twitter, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Some Kind of Brown. If you haven't heard already, we are doing a giveaway. If you follow the links in my Instagram or Twitter description, you can sign up for the weekly newsletter. Again, just a very short email going to have the show notes in a more accessible place and any updates so you can find everything all in one place. 
If you sign up for the newsletter between now and September 1st, you will be in the drawing for some stickers. I'll be drawing for the winner on September 2nd, and I hope that you enjoy our little newsletter. Growth. Happiness. <laughs> Life. <laughs> With that being said, thank you to Purple Planet for the use of their song, Love Life, and I will see you later this week with some more Shades of Brown. Okay, I love you. I have let this go on too long <laughs> with not just you, but other people who talk to me calling Nat. <laughs> Should I not call you that? I hate it so much. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a kid, it made me cry because a G in AT, like the fly, I'd be like, I'm not a bug. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I didn't know. I'm probably the only Natalie in the world who hates it so much. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Hey! <laughs>